Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth 2,000 years ago to redeem us. You came to seek and to save the lost. You came into the sin-stained world. As we just sang, we were on a hell-bound race, but you came and intervened, and you, you did so with great personal cost to yourself, sacrificing your very life. But we thank you, Lord, that not only did you live a perfect life, not only did you die, but we praise you because you rose again, and you passed that victory on to us. And now, Lord, we can be redeemed. We can be given new life, new hope, new joy through faith in Christ. And we're thankful for these truths, Lord. And we pray that you will be at work in our time, in our remaining time this morning, to equip us to know how to live redeemed lives in the world in which we live, and to do so in such a way that points others to Christ as well. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. I have a question for you as we start this morning. If you were a fish swimming in water, would you know that you were wet? If you were a fish swimming in water, would you know that you were wet? Now, to us as humans, it's quite obvious that a fish swimming in water would be wet. But I think looking at it from the fish's perspective, I doubt even a fish had the cognitive ability to process that type of thing. I doubt they would really understand the nature of how wet they really are. Because for a fish, water is just the environment that is always around them. And it is, it is just second nature to them. They would just take water for granted. Now, zooming out to us as humans, because we're not talking specifically about fish, it's a metaphor. Zooming out to us as humans, we have to recognize there are many aspects of our culture that we just take for granted. That, that, that influence us, that shape us, that, that are ever-present all around us, but that we don't even think about, that we don't even recognize because we are so accustomed to them, because we're swimming in them every single day. For instance, let me give you a few examples of the influence of our culture. Why, for instance, do we wear clothing that looks like this, but we are uncomfortable wearing clothing that looks like this? Or why, for instance, do we enjoy watching football, but we know next to nothing about rugby or cricket? Or why, when we meet someone, we shake their hand, but most of us don't give them a kiss or bow to them? I didn't see any kissing or bowing going on during our greeting time this morning. Why are these things the way they are? It's because we live in a culture that has influenced us with the values and the practices uh, that are common here that we have simply internalized without even thinking about it. If we were to go to another culture, it would become obvious very quickly that our cultural values that we have internalized just by nature of living this culture are unique to us. If you go somewhere else, you're going to find, you know what, the clothing we wear, the way we greet one another, the food that we eat, all these things vary from culture to culture, but we just take them for granted because this is the culture in which we live. We are very much like that fish that is swimming in water that probably doesn't even recognize that it is wet because most of us unconsciously internalize the values and the practices of the surrounding culture. And sometimes it's as superficial as the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, or the sports we enjoy. But sometimes it's much deeper and more uh, foundational in our lives, in influencing our views of God. Influencing our views of how we express our sexuality. Influencing our views of how does a person determine what vocation they will pursue. Or how do we handle anger. All of these are, are, are aspects of our lives they are foundational to who we are, but they are heavily influenced 
by external forces. And the key question for us that we were looking at this morning is what is the primary influence in our lives? What is the primary influence in our lives? I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. We are in a series right now that is called Engage. And it's all about equipping us to engage our ever-changing culture with the never-changing gospel. Last week, we looked at the fact that we, as Christians, are called to be set apart for God's purposes, meaning that we are no longer conforming to the pattern of the world and the culture around us, but that our ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus. Now, you see that today's uh, title of this message is called Consuming and Conforming. And the idea behind this is the reality that we tend to conform to the image of whatever we consume. Now, this idea of consuming, it's a metaphor, obviously. We're not just talking about consuming food. We're talking about anything and everything that comes into our lives that we internalize, that, that, that influences us. Those things that we consume, we tend to conform to the image of those things. We're going to be looking today at what this is really all about because bottom line, if you boil it all down, there are only two primary influences that can be in our lives. Either God or the world. Those are, bottom line, the two directions we have to go. So I invite you to follow along as I read about these topics in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the main idea in this passage is this idea of surrendering to God. The idea of surrendering to God. Uh, Paul writes, Off your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So this is the idea of the fact that our lives are to be fully dedicated to God and to his purposes. It uses that terminology of living sacrifice. Now, back in that culture, they were very accustomed to sacrifices. In that culture, a sacrifice would be a religious activity where they would take an animal, they would slaughter that animal, and it would be a form of dedication to God. Different sacrifices had different purposes, but bottom line is you take an animal, and then it's dead. But here Paul is talking about us as sacrifices, thankfully not sacrifices that are literally killed, but sacrifices that are living sacrifices that are set apart and dedicated for God's purposes is an ongoing testimony to the greatness of Christ. And we see here that our lives not only are to be fully dedicated to him, but this is an act of worship. He says this is your true and proper worship. Worship is not simply coming here to church on Sunday morning and singing some songs. Worship is a wholehearted dedication and devotion to God, and this is all motivated, as Paul says here, by the gospel. Our our worship of God is motivated by the gospel, and we see this in two different ways. First of all, the passage begins with the word, therefore. And if you're ever studying scripture, anytime you see that word, therefore, you should ask, what's it there for? Because therefore is a connecting word, connecting what came before to what comes next, and it shows that what comes next is building on what came before. And here in Romans 12, verse 1, this one little tiny word, therefore, is the transition point in the entire book of Romans. 
Because the first 11 chapters contain the most detailed description of the gospel that we have in the Bible. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has accomplished for us through his life, death, and resurrection. So chapters 1 through 11 of Romans detail in a very uh, beautiful and glorious manner the gospel, what God has done for us. And then we come to chapter 12, verse 1, which is the transition point. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in light of the gospel, offer your bodies to God as living sacrifices. And then chapters 12 through 16 are all about the practical implications of the difference the gospel should make in our day-to-day lives. And so we see here that the word therefore is pointing us to the motivation of the gospel. But there's another thing, too. It says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This phrase, in view of God's mercy, is simply shorthand for in view of the gospel. As we look at the, the glories of the gospel, God's grace lavished on us through Christ, because of that, let that be your motivation to bow down and to give your lives in wholehearted worship of God. So we see here that the essence of worship is not an obligation. Maybe some of you are here this morning at church because your family wanted you to come or because this is what you've always done. We see worship is not about that type of thing. It's not out of obligation. It's not about tradition. It's about a response of saying thank you to God for what he has done for us through Christ. So we see this picture of surrendering our lives wholeheartedly to God. But Paul here in verse 2 points out a barrier that can really derail us in surrendering to God and being motivated by the gospel. And that barrier, he says, is conformity to the world. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Remember, we have these two primary influences that are coming into our lives. You can have God as your primary influence. You can surrender to that influence. Or you can have the world's influence and surrender to that the influence of the world. And if we are surrendering to the world's influence in terms of conforming to the pattern of this world, that means that we are living in accordance with the world's values and practices. Now, whenever Paul, in his letters, uses the term world, or especially this world, it's, it's always a negative connotation there. He's talking about this world that's characterized by sin and by death and by rebellion against God. And so in Paul's view here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, being conformed to, to the pattern of this world is not a good thing at all. Because what that means is that we're not being primarily influenced by God, but by the values and practices of this world. We're conforming to the world. And what happens then, as we're talking about seeking to engage the world, if we are wanting to engage the world, yet we're looking just like the world because we're conforming to the world, it means that our witness for Christ will be compromised. It'll it'll inevitably be compromised. I want to show you a diagram that shows a spectrum of engaging culture. It's something I've been working out in my mind uh, throughout this series, um, and actually well before the series as well. But it's just a diagram that shows different ways of engaging culture, because there are multiple avenues, m- multiple roads, if you want to use that metaphor, for how Christians can engage culture. There are times, for instance, that it's important for a Christian to engage culture through confronting the culture on, on some aspect of the culture that is very much contrary to God's will. So confronting at times is an appropriate way to engage culture. But also there are other ways. One is conversing with culture, which is more of a dialogue, give and take, talking, reasoning, uh, logic, um, explanation, um, just encouraging people to consider Christ. 
And, and so we see many times in Scripture this conversing about the gospel. That's another very valid way to engage culture. And the third way is through creating new culture, godly culture, culture that points people to Christ in some form or another. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk about these three overarching ways of engaging culture. But you see in this diagram that on each side there's a ditch that you can get into where you can go off that road if you get too far to one extreme or the other. On the one hand, if you get too far from culture, uh, you're not going to be engaging anymore because then you're going to be cocooning. You're going to be isolating yourself from the culture. And there are times in our lives and certain topics that it is good that we completely set ourselves apart from the cultural practices and values. But if our whole lives are cocooned away from culture, we're no longer engaging redemptively anymore with our culture. But on the other side of the spectrum, you have conforming to the culture, where, where, where there's nothing distinct about us at all in terms of, of our relationship with God and the culture. I mean, we, we look just like the culture. And then our, our witness for Christ is very much compromise. We may still come to church on a Sunday morning. We may still call ourselves a Christian. But practically speaking, on a day-to-day basis, there would then be very little difference between us and the surrounding culture. And then we have nothing really to offer the world redemptively. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you, speaking to Christians, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So we are the salt of the earth to bring flavor, to make people thirsty for Christ. But if there's no difference between us and the world because we have conformed to the patterns of this world, our witness has been compromised and we're no longer engaging our culture redemptively for the cause of the gospel. So we see here we have these two choices, surrender to God Surrender to the world. It all boils down to one or the other. And this is really a battle that we are constantly in, in in this world as long as we are alive. We have to recognize the influences that may cause us to conform to the pattern of this world. And I want to focus our attention now on the influence of media. Because as I look at our culture and look at what are the influences shaping our culture, thereby shaping the lives of individual people that we rub shoulders with every day, I can't really think of another form of influence that is more pervasive and more powerful than that of media. I really think that media, in all its various forms, is the most powerful influence that is shaping our culture today. And by media, I mean everything from TV programs and news on TV to newspapers and magazines to the internet to movies. I mean, their media can take on a bunch of different forms. And we're going to just kind of talk about it in general, although we'll probably be focusing a little bit more on TV and movies uh, because, as we'll be talking about, they, they shape us in really radical ways. But I, I fully believe that media is the primary influencer of our culture today. Now, many Christians, when we talk about culture and engaging culture and stuff, many Christians think about politics. It is true that politics and politicians do have an influence in our society but I want to kind of create a little picture for you here. Imagine that we have this river that is flowing down the center aisle of the church. This is upstream. That is downstream. Politics, in terms of uh, the flow of influencing our culture, politics is more downstream. Media is more upstream. 
There are other things that are upstream with media, such as uh, educational centers, universities, schools. Those are also upstream. And then you have politics that's a little bit more downstream. So what typically ends up happening when you have new ideas that are being introduced to society, these new ideas typically come from scholars at universities, people who write books, stuff like that. And, and some of these ideas are, are adopted by some influencers. And typically, it's people in media who take these ideas and write them into books, put them into the curriculum for schools, put them on TV shows. They, they're under, underlying uh, the views of, of people who are producing the news shows. And then those views begin to flow downstream and begin to influence us, just your everyday population here in society. And at first, these new views might seem outrageous. They might really make us bristle. We don't like those views at all. But over time, these views that were new at one point, starting way upstream, come to be more and more accepted. And then as views get more and more accepted in society, gain some traction, that is typically when you see politics entering in and making those views more official. They're more cemented than in culture. I mean, you can look at a number of different examples like this. But typically, politicians are not the primary innovators of society. The innovation starts more upstream, and media is the primary way in which these ideas and values and practices um, get out in the culture and begin to shape things. And then politics comes along and makes laws, putting those into legal practice and, and protecting them um, for years to come. So I, I really think that, that media is the primary influencer in our culture today. And I want to just talk a little bit more about the influence of media. Um, one of the things we have to recognize about media is that media is a way to explore and to spread values. Everyone you meet, every one of us, has values that we live by. Many of our values are unconscious, they're subtle, they, we don't really think about them. Some of them are more intentional. But we externalize those values all the time through the things that we say and through the things that we do, through the ch things we intentionally choose not to say or do. We're constantly externalizing values. Everyone does it, many times in very subtle and unconscious ways, but sometimes in very overt and intentional ways. On my bike rides, I ride bike on a regular basis. On the trail between here and Cedar Grove a couple months ago, I, I recognized two places in which people externalized some values. Let me show you pictures of them. These are only a few miles apart, up between Belgium and Cedar Grove. One picture, written in chalk, uh, it said, have a nice day. You can see that the rain, by the time I thought of taking a picture of it, rain washed away part of it. But it said, have a nice day. You know, that's kind of nice. Written in chalk, washed away, it's not there anymore. The other side was written in black spray paint, said the devil is with you, 666. And, and there's a number of other things right around there as well. It's just, it's basically still in the, city, in, in, the, in the city limits of Belgium. But you see this, these are two different people, I imagine, who wanted to externalize some message to a broader uh, population. For consumption. One did it in a way that's not going to last very long because it's already gone because it's chalk. The other one, it's still there. You can go see it. It's just right in Belgium on the bike path. But people who had values and ideas, they want to externalize them for others to see. Now imagine what it would be like if you take these two people. I have no idea who they are. Not me. Um, no idea who they are, though. 
and, and they are now the producers of a TV show. They've already demonstrated they want to externalize their values for broader consumption. What types of TV shows do you think they might produce based on these messages? I mean, one, the one that says, have a nice day. I mean, if you take that mentality and expand it into a TV show, it's probably going to be an uplifting and encouraging, a family-friendly type of show, something that might be just kind of enjoy enjoyable and refreshing to watch. The other one, you can use your imagination. But you can see there would be two very different types of TV shows just based on the values and the, pr and the ideas that are externalized by different people. And we have to recognize media is a place where you have a lot of people who have a lot of ideas who are externalizing them. Many times it's a place just to explore ideas for people to dream about what would it be like if the world was this way? Or, or what are my beliefs in God? What are my beliefs about how we treat other people? Stuff like that. And so many times media is just exploratory where the creators are just trying to figure things out for themselves in a very public manner. Many other times, though, uh, it has a more shaping influence in society. Many of you are probably familiar with the TV show The Simpsons, a uh, very popular TV show for a number of decades. If you've ever watched The Simpsons, you know that The Simpsons like to poke fun at evangelical Christians. They do. That's just, that's just a, a matter of what's going on in the show. And at one point, the uh, creator of The Simpsons, Matt Groening, was asked, how come every time The Simpsons are pointing fun at something religious, it, it pretty much is always related to evangelical Christianity. Why not Islam or something like that? Matt Groening explained, you know what? A lot of the people who work with The Simpsons... They come from an evangelical Christian background. They're familiar with that type of religion. Some of them have had bad experiences. Some are just aware of it. But that's what they know. That's what they have personally experienced. That's what some of them have an axe to grind with. And so that's what comes through there. Let me quote from him specifically. Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons, said, The Simpsons pretty much reflects the backgrounds of the people who make the show. It reflects the backgrounds of the people who make the show, that the people who make the show are externalizing their values and their perceptions and their experiences. And if you ever listen to or read any interviews with any TV creator or producer or writer, you'll hear very much the same thing, that they are writing largely based on their views or on their experiences or on their perceptions. That's largely what media is about. And sometimes, as I said, it's just... It's just kind of neutral where people are just kind of writing based on their own experiences. Sometimes, though, it's more proactive in terms of taking an activist role and really seeking to shape society. One of the more popular TV shows in, in Britain for many years has been called EastEnders. I've never seen it, but I, I understand it's a soap opera that's been running for many years over there. Back in 1987, EastEnders made news because on that TV show... Happened, it happened that it was the first gay kiss in primetime TV. 1987. That's pretty early in the whole uh, evolution of our society in terms of that topic. And there was a huge public outcry about that. But listen to what the actor who, who gave that kiss, Michael Cashman, listen to how he described what the mentality was behind this. He said, public taste has to be developed. Public opinion has to be led. And television and the media are central to that. He understands television and media is upstream. That the things they are doing it may, it might rub people wrong at first, 
But eventually, as you continue to, to filter those types of values and practices into the media, you know, the first time people encounter something like that, there's outrage. There, there's incredible discomfort. Second and third times, you're like, well, yeah, we've seen that before. We still don't like it. You know, I get down to the 10th, 20th, 10,000th time. People have just kind of accepted it for the way it is. They've internalized those values for themselves. That's, that's the way media works in our lives. It influences people, whether we realize it or not. And, and reality is Christians know this too. I mean, there are Christian movies out there. I think of Sherwood Pictures, uh, the, the creators of movies like Fireproof and Courageous and War Room and Facing the Giants. They recognize that media influences people too. If, if they didn't recognize that, why else would they be making these types of movies? I mean, they know media influences people. But we have to recognize the dedicated Christians are relatively rare in Hollywood. Dedicated Christians are relatively rare in Hollywood. There was a study back in 1998 from the University of Texas that, that polled, uh, took a poll of um, executives and writers and producers and actors and actresses in Hollywood just to poll them on their religious activity. And they found that only about 2 to 3% of these people involved in media in Hollywood attend a worship service of any type on any degree of regular basis. Only 2 to 3%. That's compared at that time with about 41% of general American population. So you see there's a, a difference value-wise and religiously between Hollywood, the media generators, and the rest of culture. And this does make a big difference in, in how media portrays things. I mean, there certainly are some people in Hollywood creating media who are very antagonistic against Christianity, and they, they just have an axe to grind. And they're going out, banding together in an assault of Christianity. We have to recognize that, you know, a majority of them aren't that way. They don't have this huge axe to grind with Christianity, but they just leave God and religion and spirituality just out of everything they're producing. And I think that effect is actually just as insidious, if not more so, than the direct attacks. Let me illustrate how this mentality works. With my children, they have this terrible habit of telling their sibling what they don't want the sibling to do. And here's how it works. For instance, Micaiah is playing with cars. He has them all set up just right on the living room floor. Tehila comes into the living room after a nap, and he immediately tells her, Tehila, don't touch my cars. Stay away from my cars. They're just the right way. And we're trying to tell Micaiah, if you just didn't say anything about the cars, she has no interest in them. She won't touch them at all. But what happens when he says, don't touch my cars? Zoop! Right over there to the cars. I mean, it works that way all the time. I mean, I'm driving home with the kids. We've been out doing some fun things around town or whatever. And they have some exciting stuff they want to tell mommy. And we talk about who's going to be able to tell which, uh, which person can tell mommy which things. And we're getting close to home. We get in the garage. And one of them says, hey, don't tell mommy about this. I'm going to tell them about that. And I'm like, man, if you would just not bring it up, your sibling wouldn't say a thing. But now, specifically because you've brought it up, because you've drawn attention to it, now they're going to tell mommy too, and you're going to have a big war and all that. That's the way it works. Hollywood understands this as well as anyone that sometimes just simply by not drawing attention to something, people will just ignore it and forget about it. 
And also, when you have people who are living a very secular lifestyle, just not really caring one way or the other about God, who are producing TV shows and movies and other forms of media, they just don't inject any sort of religion or spirituality or God thing in their media that they're creating. And so this creates the impression, those who are consuming that media, you know what, God is irrelevant. Religion and spirituality and church and and reading the Bible and praying, that stuff doesn't need to be a part of my life because look at these people on the show they're flourishing they're doing just fine they're having fun they're coping with life they have friends they have family all that stuff and god's not a part of it so i think that's that's a big part of the secularizing influence that's taking place in our society is that media some of it is very antagonistic against christianity but much of it just doesn't really do much at all with uh faith and Christianity and religion and stuff like that. And so people just kind of get in the mentality of, why do I need God? Because remember, media is influencing people. And one of the ways that it influences people is that it engages people in a transformative manner. Because media draws us in, especially thinking about TV shows and movies and, and books, magazine articles. These things, they draw us in they make us identify with the characters. You know, you've, yeah, I'm sure you've watched TV shows or movies where you are pulling for a certain character. You want to see these two people get together. You want to see something work out well, or you really don't like this person over here. And so we engage emotionally. We begin to connect with their storyline. We connect with their struggles, and we laugh along with them. And in that point where we are connecting with them, we're identifying with them, we're laughing with them, we let our guard down. And we become open to influences that otherwise, if they were more explicit and straightforward, we would never be open to those influences. I mean, there are things that, that if people came in here and started lecturing on, on certain topics, saying, you know what, you should believe this, 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 our guard is going to be up immediately, and we're going to say, no, I don't want that at all. But if it comes in the form of, of, of more engaging means of media, TV, movies, stuff like that, we, we identify, uh, we like the characters, we're going to drop that guard and not be me- near, nearly as discerning about what we are consuming and how it's conforming us to the image of, of its values and practices. That's the nature of media. And, and I think about our AHA series. A few months ago, we did this DVD series connected with a sermon series, AHA. It's based on the parable of the prodigal son. And these DVDs that we did in six-week small groups were, were very cinematic in nature. I mean, they had this big storyline uh, with great acting and all kinds of stuff. One of the people who's newer to the church saw this, and, and he was like, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. It's like watching a movie, but it has all these great spiritual truths in it. And he's right. I mean, I bet that if we went around the room today, you couldn't remember anything that I said in any of my sermons back then. But you could probably tell me the storyline of what was in those DVDs. Because that's the nature. There's a big difference between teaching and engaging in media. Media has a way of just getting down to that emotional level, becoming more memorable. And that's why media has so much power over our lives. Now, I want to return now to that engaged spectrum um, and different ways to engage culture. We talked about the two ditches we can get into. You can either conform to culture. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But also a, a reaction of Christians many times when they think about how, me, how media and other parts of culture can negatively influence us. Many Christians then will tend to want to cocoon, to isolate themselves 
from culture to protect themselves, to honor God. I think many of this is very well-meaning. And I think, especially as a parent, I see that temptation. I look at my kids and I think, you know what? There are a lot of things going on in this world I really do not want them to be exposed to. I don't want them to be influenced by those things. So there is that temptation to want to completely isolate them. And it is wise for parents to use discernment and at times to use boundaries on on helping their children uh, engage in what is healthy and safe at an appropriate time. But at the same time, we cannot completely cocoon ourselves from culture or else we are being unbiblical as well. We're, we're not then engaging culture in a redemptive manner. We're not going to be making more disciples. We're not going to be getting the gospel out there in any sort of effective manner. So we need to engage culture. Now, one more, one more thought on this topic of media before we move back to this passage. If you're wondering, okay, all this media stuff is going on there. Culture is just changing so quickly. How do I make sense of all this? Let me um, recommend a resource to you. It's a website called cpyu.org. CPYU stands for Center for Parent Youth Understanding. It's a Christian website, uh, but it's really relevant for everyone. Even if you don't have young children, it's very relevant for anyone who wants to understand what is going on in our culture. Because so much popular culture in media focuses on young people, especially teenagers. This is going to be relevant for anyone who wants to understand what's going on in our culture. And so I want to encourage you to check out this website, especially that, that... tab called resources at the top it opens the door to so many different articles and resources and videos that can be very helpful in discerning what's really going on in our culture but back here to this passage paul says romans 12 2 do not conform to the pattern of this world it's hard not to conform to the pattern of this world he says but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will So he's saying we should renew our minds, and in that process, we will be transformed. It's important that we are renewing our minds, because our minds are naturally going to be influenced by the things of this world, because this this is the water that we are constantly swimming in. But we need to renew our minds with Scripture. Remember that the things that we consume, we tend to conform to those things. So we need to be consuming influences that draw us to Christ. This is why... Reading scripture on a regular basis is so important. It helps to renew our mind. It, it, it impacts us to help us to, to see things from God's perspective, the outside perspective. You think about why can we as humans tell that fish are wet when fish in the water in the metaphor may not be able to tell? It's because we have an outside perspective. God comes in with an outside perspective and is able to help us to see things clearly and accurately as they really are. So we need to be renewing our minds by consuming influences like Scripture, church services. I mean, that's why Sunday mornings, church service, and, and classes are, are valuable for renewing our minds. That's why reading Christian books is valuable. That's why uh, huddles and, and I think I already said other Bible studies are helpful for just for renewing our minds so then we will be transformed by Christ from the inside out rather than being conformed to this world. And what we have to understand then is that a renewed mind will give us wisdom to engage our culture. Our culture is very, very complex. It's hard to know where you even start with this stuff. But we get wisdom. Paul said, then if you do these things, if you have this renewed mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now oftentimes when we as Americans think about God's will, 
we look at it in very subjective, individualistic terms. We want to ask, okay, what's God's will for my life? Who should I marry? What job should I do? Where should I live? Where should I go to church? Stuff like that. What's God's will for me? That is a very 21st century American type of mentality. Back in Paul's era, that question probably wouldn't come to mind. But that's another example of how we in our very individualistic society, it's all about me, myself, and I, where, where we are so influenced that we don't even recognize the types of questions that we ask Scripture are different than they would have asked back then. Because then when they come across this idea of uh, you, which is plural in the original language, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, they would recognize, you know what, God has already revealed so much of his will right here in Scripture. His will for how we are to live in this world. We are to take this, internalize it, so that we will be equipped, that when we are encountering various aspects of our culture, that we will then be able to discern truth from error. What is helpful from what is helpful, what is godly from what is ungodly, and that we will be able to engage culture in a wise, discerning, and redemptive manner. Now I want to encourage you to come back next week because next week represents a shift in the direction of this engaged series. Up to this point, it's been a lot of theory, I mean some practice, but starting next week we're talking very specifically about how on a day-to-day basis, in our individual interactions, in our relationships, in our just day-to-day lives, how does it look to engage our culture? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you love us so richly. That even when we were messed up, even when we were certainly following the pattern of this world and had no care about you, that you still came and sought us out through Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will renew us from the inside out. That you will help us to see things from your perspective. Help us to discern the aspects of our lives that are so conformed to the pattern of this world that we can't really tell right from wrong. Lord, help us to see what is true what is false, and Lord, help us not only to see these things accurately, but then to have the wisdom to engage with the people and the society around us in a manner that points them lovingly and graciously and powerfully to Christ. We pray these things in His name.